That's what we're going to start with. Because it's going to tie in to who we're talking about this morning. Alright, so let's open up in prayer. So, God, we ask that you'd bless our time this morning. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you'd come and uh, just get the clutter out of our minds, Lord, and just all the stuff that happens in the course of a week, or who knows what has happened this morning. Um, we ask that you just uh, could bring just a, a settling spirit here, Father, um, that you give an ability to each of us to read your word in such a way where it speaks and ministers to our hearts, where it's not just um, head knowledge, Lord, but there's something more to it because there's an alive and active God behind it revealing it to us. So we ask you, Holy Spirit, to do that work. May we never just come here and gain more knowledge. May it also make that transition from our heads to our hearts and hopefully out through our actions. So God, we ask that you bless our time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, it is uh, Palm Sunday, right? One week before um, Easter, and uh, I kind of like these palms better. Do you guys like these palms better? I kind of like them better than like the traditional kind of palmetto ones. Um, but, you know, what we've been doing is we've been going through the Bible, you know, going through Matthew, and we talked about Palm Sunday, I don't know, maybe uh, a month, month and a half or so ago, and um, we, we dug a little bit deep there. Um, and, of course, you could go online and listen to that if you'd like. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to keep continuing with our story right straight through because we're going to end up really at the Easter story, you know, next Sunday. And we're going to pick up this morning talking about a very famous man in the Bible, uh, and Peter. Everybody say Cephas. Right? Cephas, Peter, Simon, right? All the same guy, a bunch of different names. Um, but we're going to talk about him this morning. And uh, Peter, you know, he, uh, he's kind of an intriguing guy. You know, when you read through the Bible, he's like uh, impulsive. Um, he is uh, aggressive. Uh, he, um, he likes to, you know, put himself out there and take a risk, no matter how it might make him look. And uh, this morning, we're going to look at, I-, I think, probably the biggest testimony in his life. So Christians use this word testimony, right? Testimony. It's like, you know, what, what your life story is about how God came in and invaded your life and since he's done that, what has happened? And that's like a testimony. And honestly, for the Christian, it, uh, there's probably lots of testimonies. You know, God just, you know, he may come in at, at some times that are more significant and, and that, like, you know, we have maybe more of a story to, we understand more details about, but usually as we grow with Christ, there's like, it's a, it's a big story of how he changed different things all throughout, I mean, there's years and years of stuff that he helps us get through. And uh, as far as Peter goes, you think about somebody like that who walked with Jesus, you know, he's just a fisherman, blue-collar guy, and, um, you know, becomes one of the twelve, and really kind of the ringleader um, of the twelve. And the biggest testimony in his life, where God had worked arguably 
the strongest and most significant in his life. So if he come up here and tell his testimony, we could have St. Pete up here telling his testimony, I bet I wouldn't be surprised if it was about what we're going to read this morning. And um, the title of the message is kind of going to be our focus. Tough times. Tough times. Because I know it is Palm Sunday, and you know on Palm Sunday traditionally, as Jesus was riding in on his donkey, everybody was celebrating, rejoicing. It was a big hoopla, a big to-do. Palm branches flying, uh, cloaks being laid on the ground, everybody's cheering, celebrating. It's an awesome scene. And then a week later, they're screaming, crucify him, crucify him. It changes drastically in the matter of a week. And the tough times are coming, and it's coming for everybody, and it hits everybody real hard. It hits everybody really hard. Um, and Peter has a unique experience to that. So we're going to take out some things that hopefully are helpful. I wrote down just a few thoughts about just tough times and failures. Everybody say failure. Failures. That is not a very sexy word, right? No. No, and like, and we're all going to do it. And you know, we're all going to have setbacks and failures. And, and sometimes we'll even do it on purpose. We'll fail on purpose for whatever reason. Because we just want to do what we want to do. Sometimes we'll do it by accident. But nonetheless, failures are coming. And, uh, you know, for a bunch of us here, who knows how recent those failures may have been. It may have been this morning. It may have been last night. It may have been this week. Who knows? So, like, what do we do with that? And is there hope in the middle of that? And if there is hope in the middle of that, what would it look like? And how can we team up together and try and overcome it? Everybody say overcome. overcome. That word is taking more of a place in my Christian vernacular, Christianese, is overcoming, being an overcomer. Not letting stuff hold me down, keep me back. I'm going to overcome not because I'm so awesome. That's not it. Right? It's because Jesus is so awesome and He is so amazing and He has conquered. And apparently, that resurrection power lives in me as it lives in you. So let's dig in. Are you ready? Let's do it. Alright. Luke 22, verse 31. So in order to get the whole context, we've got to go back to original conversation, a previous conversation that happened between Jesus and Peter. So here we go. Verse 31. Simon, Simon. Right? That's our man Peter. Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will, deny, you will deny me three times that you know me. So then Jesus asked him, When I sent you without a purse, a bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. And verse 36, he said to them, But now if you have a purse, take it. Also if you have a bag, uh, and if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak, buy one. It is written. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. The disciples said, See, Lord, here are two swords. And he replied, 
So the game is changing here. They used to like not have to take stuff, bring stuff, and now they're like taking things, and now they got swords, they got weapons now. And... But the interesting part about this is the conversation between Jesus and Peter. He says, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. Interesting dynamic there. Very interesting. It says, but I've prayed for you, Simon. Jesus is praying for Simon that your faith may not fail. But catch this. It says, and when you have turned back, assuming he's going to fail and drop the ball. And when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. So here's my first thought. I was kind of thinking about this failure stuff and Peter and like betrayal and, and denying Jesus. First thought was this. Jesus knows who's going to fail him. Jesus knows um, who's going to fail him. That was the first thought that came to mind. Like, he already knows. He's not really surprised by it. And he's a big enough God to handle it. That's actually kind of encouraging to me. Because sometimes I think I overestimate overestimate myself and maybe you overestimate yourself and then when the failure comes it's like whoa it rocks our world it rocks our world but maybe if the mindset is there to where sin and failure is in our future uh, that kind of helps put things in perspective a little bit like sin and failure is in Jared's future it's going to happen as good as my intentions are, it's going to happen. That's really actually very difficult for maybe even someone who's like a type A, uh, control, perfectionistic type person. That's very difficult to handle. But it's the fact of the matter, like, hey, it's going to happen. Um, it can also be a crutch for somebody who's thrown in the towel and quit altogether and said, well, hey, sin and failure is going to happen, so why bother trying? And that's not real good either. But sin and failure is definitely in our future. And sin and demons are real. Right? This is like a real part of what's going on. If you read through the Bible, it says, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. So our sin, our failure, our shortcomings are definitely going to be a struggle and a lot of that struggle is going to happen because there is an enemy, because there's Satan, because there's demons working behind the scenes to try and make sure that it trips us up and makes things more difficult. I was talking with a friend at work this past week, and you know we were. Uh, it's been amazing the past couple of weeks uh, talking to this one particular individual. I don't know where this uh, all this God talk is coming from, but. Um, all of a sudden, we're just doing a lot of God talk. So it, it's pretty awesome. I'm excited about it. It's cool. It's like the highlight of my day, usually. And uh, so we were talking about stuff and, you know, getting worldviews. You know, we say worldview, how he sees the world, how I see the world, and how that matches up and all that stuff. And um, I forget what the subject was we were talking about. And uh, he's like, you know, I, I don't really buy into uh, this whole enemy and devil and evil part. He's like, I think there's like a God and good and he's like it's like but I don't know about all that like enemy evil stuff he's like that's just uh, I don't know how I feel about that I don't, I don't really know how that works into there 
But I think that there is like this good God, you know, that's there. And, you know, so we're going back and forth and talking about stuff. And I think for many people, that dynamic that there is a Satan, a devil, an enemy makes people feel very uncomfortable. And I don't think a lot of people even really want to talk about it or really think about it. But us as Christians and us as Bible-believing Christians, we believe that there is an enemy out there who's looking to come after our lives, come after our families, and um, do as much damage as they possibly can. And try and get us to believe as many lies as he possibly can. And um, I was thinking about some of the lies you know, that he tries to implant you know, and tell us. And, uh, you know, it says that he was trying to sift Peter as wheat. And I, I don't know, like, what that looks like or, or, like, you know, how that means, you know, sift him as wheat. I don't know, but somehow he's trying to, like, get him to where he's, like, not certain about things and trying to create... It seems like he'd be unstable in a particular way, right? Like, wheat is, like, it's light. It can caught in the air. It can just go and just... I think the enemy is a master at that. If he can introduce a lot of doubt and, and just a lot of uncertainty and get us just to go and just ride the waves of life. And when circumstances are up, we're up. And when circumstances are down, you know, we're down. But I was thinking about some of the lies um, that the enemy plants. Um, and especially from Peter's perspective. You know, you're a failure. Right? You're unloved. You can not and you will not ever change. These sound like failure lies and lines for sure. Right? You just are flat out a failure. Right? You've never got it right from the beginning. Don't even bother trying. In fact, anytime you have tried, you've screwed it up. Seems like really good at that one. Right? You're unloved. You cannot and you will not ever change. And I wonder how much of that, you know, Peter had to deal with, you know, because eventually, you know, he does deny him three times, and we'll read about it in a minute. Um, And then it says that he goes away and he whipped bitterly. And I think about us, you know, as far as sin and failure is concerned, we got sin and we got failure. We got it. I mean, all cards on the table. We got sins and we got... Say that with me. We got sins and we got failures. We just do. We just do. And we're going to have more. And they're coming. We're going to have more. And to deny it wouldn't make us like better Christians. And to act like they're not there or to minimize them won't make us better Christians. In fact, if we were to deny it, minimize it, hide it, shelter it, catch this, it would actually take away from part of who God is. If we were to deny it, shelter it, put it away somewhere, it would actually take away from part of who God is and what He's doing. I'm going to finish more of that thought later. But just chew on that one for a minute. It's true. We're going to get back to that. So that was my first thought, right? Tough times. Jesus knows who's going to fail him. It's kind of encouraging to know that he's not expecting perfection 
that he understands, I'm just Jared, you're just you, we're just dust, we're just clay pots. And hey, I get that. I'm with you, I understand that. That's nice to know. So here's the second thought that I had. And now we can go back to Matthew. Now we can go back to Matthew. So Matthew 26. Matthew 26. Pick up verse 69. It says, Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Verse 71. says, Then he went out to the gateway where another girl saw him and said to the people there, This fellow is with Jesus of Nazareth. Verse 72. He denied it again. With an oath this time. He said, I don't know the man. Verse 73. says, After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you are one of them, for your accent gives you away. Verse 74 says, Then he began to call down curses on himself. Now he's like super adamant. He began to call down curses on himself and he swore to them, I don't know the man. And then immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you would disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. So the scene here is that Jesus had just been arrested. Um, He gets a completely bogus trial with completely bogus charges. It happens at night, which also makes it completely illegitimate. And um, as he is going um, to this kind of bogus trial being held at night, Peter... And we know from the Gospel of John are following like at a distance. So they're like kind of catching a view here as far as what's going on. Everybody pretty much bailed and took off. Uh, But Peter and John are there and they're watching and they're kind of curious. And so they follow and they're able to get through the gates because it says in John's Gospel that basically he knew a guy. So he knew a guy. It gets them through. And they're watching afar off from a distance. And it's cold out at night. And uh, there's a fire going there. And so Peter and John are like warming themselves in the fire and kind of watching this and seeing it develop and seeing it play out. And so they're seeing their Messiah. They're seeing their Savior. Um, Well, getting a completely bogus trial. They're watching bogus witnesses come forward with uh, claims that are are untrue. And then they also see their Messiah, their Savior, uh, getting covered uh, with a blanket and people hitting him and spinning on him and mocking him and the, you know, wow, the world is getting rocked right now. Getting rocked. And so now they're outside and uh, we find out in verse 69 um, a little servant girl comes up to him. Not real intimidating. Um, a, a girl in that culture, a woman as it was, did not really have a whole lot of a status value, let alone a little servant girl. And so he can't even man up to the servant girl. Like, so he just denies it right away. Um, and then again, um, it happens, another woman sees him. He denies it again, he turns it up a notch, he says, with an oath, oath, I just, you know, I swear to whatever, I never knew him. And then after that, somebody's like, no, 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 I've seen that accent, you know. 
You hung around with them. I've seen them before. And that's where he starts calling down curses on himself. He's like, no, 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 no. Just adamantly, no. Then the rooster crows. He, he cries bitterly. So that first thought I was sharing with you guys, you know, Jesus knows who is going to fail him. And he knows that we're all going to fail him. Okay. With that being said, that's kind of depressing. So, what's the next thought then? Like, where, where do we go from there? At least with the passage. The next uh, thought that I had there is um, vows are going to be tested and commitments are going to be stretched. Vows are going to be tested and commitments are going to be stretched. See, because Peter made a vow, right? Peter made a vow. If we go back, I think I have it up here in Matthew, uh, I think it was 26 earlier on, verses 34, 35, 33 through 35. See, Peter made this vow. Remember Peter said this? Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, right, you disowned me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the disciples said the same. Like, he made a vow, you know what I mean? He said it flat out there. I am never leaving. Even if everybody else does, you know, I will never do it. And it said that Satan was trying to sift him as wheat, right? And we said that failures and sin are like part of the enemy's tactics and part of the enemy's plans. So if we kind of tie some of that together, I think it's very probable very likely, and I definitely believe it does happen, that when we make a vow, and we decide to stand, and we verbally proclaim or declare something, especially when we verbally proclaim or declare we are part of God's, or we're going to stand on God's truth, or we're going to commit ourselves to Him in some way, I think we better believe that those vows will be tested and those commitments will be stretched. Because that basically just put a huge target on us. And the enemy and Satan is going right for that vow, right for that target. Absolutely. So we'll put it in 2014 terms. 2014 terms are we're at the altar with our husband, with our wives, our significant others, we take those vows and sickness and in hell till death do us part. Yada, yada, yada. Happy, happy, happy. Smile, smile, smile. Ten years. Not so happy, happy, happy. Smile, smile. Difficult, difficult, difficult. Stretch, stretch, stretch. Could be problems, problems, problems. How hard do we fight for that thing now? Because apparently I gave my word and I gave my vow. Vows will be tested. Commitments, right, will be stretched. The enemy is going to go for that. Peter, oh, I will never leave you. I am committed to the end. Let's do this thing, Lord. I am with you. If everybody feels you can count on me. Really. And you could just see the enemy sitting there being like, you know what? I'll give you a chance to live up to that one. Absolutely. He comes after those vows that we make and those commitments that we make. 2014 terms, talk baptism. We do baptisms again this summer. That's a big vow, a big commitment. 
For those of you that have got baptized, know that one. You get dunked. And you get dunked because you are publicly proclaiming, I belong to God's. I'm committed to God. He has all of me. I want all of Him. Everybody know that. That's huge. That is huge. And so we better believe that the enemy is looking to sift us as we and come after those vows and test that and come after that commitment. I can't tell you how many times after baptisms people just get bombarded with things in life. And actually, I don't have a professional qualified statistic, but just from personal experience, unfortunately, many people who get baptized, you know, three, four, five years later, a good percentage, a sizable percentage, I hesitate to put a number on it, you don't see a whole lot of people around after that. A sizable percentage after that baptism takes place. It's very interesting. It's very interesting. But here's the cool thing about Peter. His vows get tested. His commitment gets stretched. And he folds up like a cheap chair. He just, he's done, you know? He got toasted by a couple little girls, you know, and a guy. And they got him. Weak moment. But the thing that I like that sticks out awesome about Peter is that very last verse there. Verse 75. says, And he went outside and he wept bitterly. The reason why I like that is because you could see his character shining through. You can see his character shining through in that moment because my assumption, and I don't think it's wrong to assume this or think this, is that, man, I think Peter went back and he's like, oh, Lord, what did I just... I can't believe it. I was a foregone conclusion. Like, you warned me, you told me, and I did it anyways. And he is just broken. Just broken. Anybody ever been there? Just out of curiosity? Yes. That's a tough spot to be, man. That is a tough spot to be. Especially when God warned you and told you about something ahead of time and you're like, eh, and you went out and did it anyways. So Peter's character, he goes out and he just weeps bitterly. Probably confessing a whole bunch of stuff to God. And he contrasts that with another huge figure in this story, Judas Iscariot. When he realizes what he does is he takes the cowardly way out and he just kills himself. He doesn't even want to bring it before God. He doesn't even want to deal with it. He's like, whatever, I am just leaving. I'm out of this thing. And that's the way immature people and people with not developed character handles things. They just take off and they just leave and they say, forget it, whatever. I don't care about the consequences. So you see these like two radically different people in this story and I love. Peter is who he is, but his character shines through in such a good way. So my first thought was that Jesus knows who's going to fail him. My second thought was, vows are going to be tested, commitments are going to be stretched. 
And then I wrote down this third one here. And this is the part that was kind of eye-opening and like exciting for me. And hopefully it's kind of eye-opening and exciting for you and gives a little bit of hope for you, hopefully. Last thought is this. Um, the Christian's testimony. The Christian's testimony. Right? The good news is in the testimony. Here's where the good news part is. I wrote this, So here's one thought I wrote down. I said, part of telling the good news of Jesus in our lives is by telling the bad news. Part of telling the good news of Jesus in our lives is by telling the bad news. Right? So how does that work? Because the story of our lives, the testimony of our lives, is about His involvement, His investment, and His victory in our lives. See, because our story is not about how we succeeded, did we get our own ambitions, did we accomplish what we wanted to accomplish. See, for the Christian, it's a different story. It's about His involvement, His investment, and His victory in our lives. So the story really is for the Christian, I failed, but Jesus did not. That's the testimony, that's the story for the Christian, is that, man, I have failed, I have dropped the ball, but he has been faithful. Let me tell you how. And this is where it gets tricky and where it gets sticky for us. is because for most of us, we don't really want to share or talk about how we failed. Especially if it's been really dumb. We don't want to talk about... Why would you want to talk about that? Why would you want to talk about stuff that like, you know, could potentially make you feel bad? Because hopefully for the Christian... The other part of the story is, yeah, okay, listen, here's what I did. Here's, I know what I shouldn't have done. Here's the struggle that happened. And then the thing that changes everything and that changes other people and it really adds that to the story is that here is what God did in the middle of it. Here's what He did with my failures. Here's what he did with my insecurities. Here's what he did with my inadequacies. Here's what he did with my failings. I didn't only just like was inadequate, mess up a few times. I flat out failed him. And I did my own thing and tried to do it my own way. And here's how he still pursued, passionately pursued after me. And here's what he did with me. Don't those Christian testimonies change you, make you think about it, they just resonate with you. It's amazing. Those are powerful. Because the Christian testimonies of like, well, God's with me, He's on my team, so I win and I'm successful and things are great and we have lots of money and a happy family and we're healthy. I, I don't know, you know? Maybe that goes through seasons. Christian testimonies that are powerful was, man, here's where I have failed. Here's where I have fallen. Here's where His love has picked me up, carried me, man, and just pushed me through. 
And I know that I know that I know it was Him because there's no way I could do it on my own. That's why I love to hear, I love to hear personal testimonies that, of people that have just been just radically changed by His love. Because they're so powerful. And you can't say anything to those people. Contrary. Well, God, you know, He's not real. And, you know, it's like, maybe it's like this being... No. No, no, no. I know that I know. He did this thing in my life, and I know, and He can never tell me otherwise. Those are awesome to hear. Awesome to hear. And I'm praying, and I'm hoping that God will make us, make me, the type of people where... I'm going to lead with my failings. I'm going to lead, L-E-A-D, with my failings. Yeah, I did this wrong. I screwed that part up. I wasn't real good with this here. But still, here's what God did. Besides that fact. Besides that fact. So this is what? That bonus question there? What is the most important part of Peter's testimony? Here's what I wrote down and I thought about. Peter's story is completely lacking. His story, his testimony, is completely lacking if God does not put this critical story in the Bible. Because Peter's victory in his story, his overcoming, right, we said that, his overcoming is found by Jesus restoring him privately and publicly. Because Peter's situation here, his meltdown, his breakdown, just does not end there where he wept bitterly. Thank God his story does not end where he wept bitterly. Thank God his story did not end where he wept bitterly. He just went away and he was just a a mess. Just an emotional basket case mess. It didn't stop there. The awesome part is, 1 Corinthians 15.5, I think I have it on the slide, we could put it up here. This is how Jesus restored him privately. It says, For I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that, look at this, He appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. That's our main man. That's Peter. He appears to him first, and then to the twelve. He knew Peter got rocked. And he knew he was going to get rocked. He told him in Luke. He says, hey, but listen, when you come back around, come strengthen your brothers. I didn't even think that even connected when he told Peter the first time. Like, what's he talking about? Probably just went way over his head. But I bet after, he's like, that's what he was talking about. So Jesus comes privately to come meet with and minister to, to heal and to restore this guy. How awesome is that? And then not only does he do it privately, he does it also publicly. He doesn't just like try to restore him once. He comes after him again to bless him and restore him again. We see it in John 21. Turn with me there. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. This is what we close up with here. John 21. Verse 15. So he had already met with Peter privately. Now he's going to meet with him publicly. 
<coughs> so Jesus had already risen from the dead, uh, met with uh, Peter, met with the women at the tomb. Verse 15. It says, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Boom, here we go. Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? I said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. So again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. So the third time he said to him, interesting, third time again, right? Threes, threes, threes. Third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, "Uh, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. And then here... Here goes Peter. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved, which is John, was following them. Skip to verse 21 there. It says, When Peter saw John, he asked, Lord, what about him? Y'all love Peter. You know, Jesus just talks with them. He's like, Man, just follow me. He's like, Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Yes, Lord, yes, Lord. You know. What about this guy? You know, what's he going to do? In verse 22, Jesus answered, If I want him to remain alive until I return, What is that to you? You must follow me. Right? You must follow me. And then Peter goes from there. And then there is a phenomenal book of the Bible called Acts or Acts of the Apostles. And the integral part to that church taking off to having people saved by the thousands, to have the outpouring of the Holy Spirit explained, because there was radical things. I mean, people were talking in different languages, and there was tongues of fire, and I was like, what the heck? This guy, Peter, steps up, man. He sets things right in line and just transforms the early church. I think that the most amazing part at least from what we can read. It says that with the things that Jesus did, the volumes of books in the world wouldn't be able to contain it. So from what we know, I would guess and I would say that the most radical part of Peter's testimony was when he denied him three times. But then his Savior came to meet with him privately and then came to meet with him publicly and helped to restore him. I think that just changed him forever. Forever. Can you imagine? I don't know if you've had people in your life that have like betrayed you or denied you. I was trying to think about that. I was like, have I ever had anybody in my life that has like, you know, they just said, oh no, you know, I don't know him. At like a key moment in time. And um, I, I, I couldn't really think of one. But maybe you can. But maybe you can. Where you have really needed someone and it was a huge moment, and they have bailed. And then that happened to Jesus, and then he goes and hunts them down to make sure that they're okay. 
Like that's the kind of God that we serve. That's the type of Savior that we have. So why not lead with our failings? So when we start asking questions and, and we start getting down on ourselves about you know, how we're messing up or like how we're having difficulty and just struggling, hey, that's what this thing is. The Christian walk is a struggle and a grind sometimes. The Christian walk looks like you know, waking up and struggling and like having a difficult time focusing on your prayers in the morning or at night or whenever. Trying to struggle through a Bible passage and be like, what is this saying? And how does this apply to me today? And that, That's what the Christian life looks like. It's a grind sometimes. Certainly there's certain seasons that are just seem more victorious and it's like, man, God just feels so alive. And then there's other seasons that it's like, it doesn't seem like the prayers are going past the ceiling. And then some people because they have so much failure and sin and mistakes in their past, then they really start to think, well, man, if someone only knew, or they only knew what I really had in my past, tell you what, you ain't surprising Jesus. You ain't surprising God. He already knew, already does now. Already seen it all. And so sometimes people get caught up in that. They're thinking like, well, then, you know, can I just lose my salvation because I've been so bad and I've done so many things wrong? Or maybe I've been baptized and I've committed, you know, my life to Christ and I've just wasted years. But I know I've got to get back. Can I lose my salvation? You know, I don't think so. But I think it's the wrong question. I think the right question to ask is, has Jesus lost the Christian? Has Jesus lost the Christian? Like, have I said, I am not following the Lord flat out, don't want it, I am done. And taken the cowardly out way like Judas. And just be done with it. And just shut it all down. I like that um, it was encouraging that Peter, I think he set a good model and a good example and he wept bitterly. He went right away and did it. It doesn't say in the text like he waited like, you know, a couple of weeks or a couple of years and thought about it some more and then went bitterly and came back. He repented right away. I think that's a great model and a good model for us. And so if failings and sin cause us to come to a place where there's some weeping and it's bitter than we got to respond in repentance right away. That's what the Christian has to do. That's what we got to do. It's really a lifestyle of repentance if we're a Christian, right? It's a lifestyle of repentance. So I guess one question to ask as we close up here, and then we're going to take communion. One question I wrote down to ask is, um, can, I let my fear, can I let my failure shine so that Christ can shine brighter? Can I let my failure shine so that Christ can shine brighter? My failures will not make me look very good. But, if I can share that, and then also share how Christ was faithful in the midst of it, well then now we're going somewhere, now we got something. I'm just super encouraged, and very thankful, 
that we serve a God who passionately pursues us. Passionately pursues us. He doesn't just love us because He's God and like He has to. He actually likes us. That's like nice to know. And if coming clean to Him and repenting to Him of stuff where we have fallen short as a regular part of our lives, then we're living the dream. We're walking with Jesus. That's it. Lifestyle repentance, hopefully as soon as possible, from whatever we messed up with. And just coming clean repeatedly before Him. And ask for God just to shine in the middle of our bad decisions. God, I have screwed up in this place. I can't believe I have done this. I don't know what you're going to do with it, but I give the situation over to you. And I'm looking for you to provide a way up and out and around this thing somehow. Those are powerful prayers. I don't think it's part of the Lord's Prayer. I don't remember reading that part, but those are powerful. That is in there. So we're going to have a time right now together. We're going to take communion. Um, and I don't know, you know, where you're at and how you feel or what struggles you might have. Or you may have had failures like we talked about before that have happened this morning or last night. Or you're planning for a failure for later. I don't know. That's how we are, right? That's how we are. So I would take this time right now and just, man, just get brutally honest, you know, with God. And say, uh, whatever needs to be said as far as getting honest with Him. And it may be that we might have to even forgive other peoples that uh, have wronged us or sinned against us. Or we might even have to go up to like maybe somebody and like confess something and be like, yeah, you know, I did you wrong here on this one. And sometimes they don't even know it. And that will really shock them. But sometimes they do know it. Um, So what we're going to do is um, I like the way we did uh, communion last time. That was nice. Where if you'd like to take part in communion, um, I'll move the stuff out of the way here. The elements are up here. We're going to have a song play quietly in the background. Um, So if you would...